Good evening, folks, and welcome back on this Saturday, the 15th day of April, 2023. I'm your host, Mark Call. And if that date kind of rings a bell, I guess I have to start off by saying, hey, it is difficult not to be cynical nowadays, isn't it? And the more you know about what's really going on, the harder it is. So I struggled just a bit with a representative story to kick things off for this evening. But maybe this one does it. This one's about the unelected communists slammed into office in once-free Brazil. True biden fuhrer style, who went back to visit his puppet masters in Shanghai this week. During the official visit to China, Lula said the BRICS group, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, should look to an alternative to the almighty dollar for trade. And when even communists are saying things like this, you know the dollar's in trouble. Quote, every night I ask myself, he said, why all countries have to base their trade on the dollar? Why can't we do trade based on our own currencies? Who was it that decided that the dollar was the currency after the disappearance of the gold standard? Unquote. Which, given some of the other things we're going to talk about, really kind of leads us to this question. How long? Since every fiat currency in history has eventually collapsed, the dollar is not going to be an exception. The inflationary cracks are already obvious. There are certainly things to pay attention to beforehand. Uh, if I've got uh, quote-unquote money that I think is mine, but it's in the bank, so it's really not mine, I'm just an unsecured creditor, can I get it out of the bank? Well, you might want to hurry if that's the case, because you don't know how much longer it's going to last. You don't know whether the bank is quote-unquote solvent or not. And what does solvency mean in a nation where big lies are all that matters? Answer, not much. You can't trust it. So um, what can you do, right? I can I can turn it into something real while I can. Now, the other indicators are uh, the fact that things are coming apart at the seams. Here's one. I thought this was kind of funny. The story I first saw was on a site called AmericanMilitaryNews.com, and it came from Republican Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, and he said the following. Basically, they had subpoenaed some bank records from a communist Chinese bank. It's in a Los Angeles-based branch, a bank in America with connections to China, Cathay Bank, and they were requesting records about the Biden Fuhrer and uh, the Crooked Sun Hunter and the whole crime family. And the Cathay Bank actually released the records after the request from Ron Johnson and Charles Grassley. The records show large payments from Chinese state-owned company or companies flowing through the Biden regime. You know, I guess the big guy's getting his 10% right off the top and his accounts while Biden was running for, uh, you know, the current dictator position before before he was uh, shoved into office in spite of the vote totals. And the defined is, according to the records discovered in Grassley and Johnson's investigation, have been disclosed, some of them by, by lawmakers. The regime denies any involvement. And uh, meanwhile, this is the thing I think is funny. This is the reason why the story is, is noteworthy. Said uh, Johnson, uh, speaking of the uh, the latest uh, development here, in my mind, this is the communist Chinese government telling Joe Biden, we got the goods on you, buddy, and we're willing to dish it up, he told the Washington Times. Another cancer, corruption, and communism connection comes from America's cesspool cities, where it's increasingly hard to hide what's going on. Case in point, Baltimore. All hell broke out Sunday night in Baltimore City's inner harbor district when gunshots were heard, causing hundreds of youngsters on spring break to scatter throughout the streets. The mayhem, of course, was captured on video, and it resembled an apocalyptic scene. As a result, Mayor Brandon Scott has proposed a citywide curfew for minors during the upcoming summer months. 
None of this says zero hedge should come as a surprise because over 50 years of democratic, now far left, openly communist leadership, sick, has steered this struggling city into a hellhole of murders, broken families, a collapsing educational system, and an ever-worsening opioid crisis. And, of course, no surprise here, the Biden regime remains silent on Baltimore's rapid, well, it hadn't been that rapid, folks, it's just accelerating demise. We go next to the other, even further left coast, where it's another story, yet another story, of a major company leaving a U.S. city. This time, Whole Foods in San Francisco that's closing after their flagship store was barely open for a year. The location in question is a 64,000-square-foot flagship Whole Foods store that you just know the company wouldn't be closing down, suggests Zero Hedge, unless things had truly run amok. And the company admits it's due to safety concerns that's causing the Whole Foods Market and 8th and Market Streets to shut down, saying we're closing our Trinity location only for the time being. If we feel we can ensure the safety of our team members in the store, well, we will reevaluate an opening of our Trinity location. I can't help but suggest one thing's for sure. You know they're not going to let them pack heat. The San Francisco Standard put it a bit more bluntly. They said that, quote, deteriorating street conditions around drug use and crime near the grocery store are the real reasons for the closure. And let's not forget, the location had already cut their hours as of October last year, citing high theft and hostile visitors. Even the Daily Mail points out this comes just days after the founder of Cash App, Bob Lee, was stabbed to death about a mile away from the store as residents, those that know what's going on anyway, flee San Francisco amid the rising crime rates. And maybe the final straw notes this piece was the closure follows the theft of all 250 of the store's shopping baskets. Note Zero Hedge, Whole Foods isn't alone. They're following the lead of other companies like Walgreens, which has also shuttered businesses in San Francisco. Let's turn next to the national failure of anything remotely approaching leadership. Even the waste stream seems to be covering this one, or at least maybe part of it, from CNN and the WAPO to the New York Times. Sometimes it's informative to start off with one of Big Brother's five eyes from across the pond. The BBC says that a leak of classified U.S. Defense Department documents is a very serious risk to national security, says the Pentagon. The documents appear to include sensitive information regarding, among other things, the war in Ukraine, as well as on China and various U.S. allies. And officials say the files are in a format similar to those used for documents issued to ahem, senior leaders. And guess what, folks? An investigation has been opened to determine the source of the leak. I wonder if anybody's yet suggested they start with Biden's garage. Look somewhere near the Corvette. Time Magazine's coverage says this. Several allegedly classified Pentagon files totaling over 100 pages were leaked on social media last week, but the existence of the documents, which were found circulating on social media sites as early as Wednesday, was first reported by the New York Times and provides key details on issues ranging from battlefield vulnerabilities in Ukraine to intelligence on matters in allied countries around the world. And they added, the leak could be one of the most damaging public breaches of U.S. intelligence since thousands of classified documents were published through WikiLeaks. And how bad is it? It's so bad the disclaimers are already coming out, like this bit of helpful, plausible deniability from the BBC. The documents, which officials say may have been altered, first started appearing on various online platforms like Twitter, 4chan, and Telegram. So I think what that means is obvious. If anything in here seems to contradict the official narrative or embarrass the regime, it's probably been changed. Speaking to reporters on Monday, says the BBC, a high-ranking Pentagon official claimed that the documents were, quote, a very serious risk to national security, and get this, and have the potential to spread 
disinformation. Isn't that what the Pentagon generally tries to do anyway? Times coverage puts it this way. It's important to keep in mind that not all of the information may be reliable. Pentagon officials acknowledge that the leaks are indeed legitimate DOD documents, but some appear to have been altered. For example, here you go, a modified document overstates American estimates of Ukrainian casualties and minimizes estimates of Russian troops killed. See, if it sounds like we're lying about the war, that's the ticket. And there are other things in here like this. One alleged Pentagon slide dated February 28th claims that if Ukraine continues at current consumption rates, they will have completely depleted its stock of Buk missiles by April 13 and S-300 missiles by the 3rd of May. And furthermore, most of Ukraine's critical national infrastructure outside of Kyiv and two other areas in southwestern Ukraine will no longer have air defense coverage. And the total number of unprotected critical sites jumps from 6 to more than 40 which paints a very different picture, admits time, from the stance that the Biden Fuhrer took earlier that same month. CNN's coverage adds this, so I guess it goes without saying, take it with a big grain of salt. Highly classified Pentagon documents they begin leaked online over recent weeks have provided a rare window into how the U.S. spies on allies and foes alike, deeply rattling U.S. officials who fear the revelations could jeopardize sensitive sources and compromise important foreign relationships. Some of the documents, which U.S. officials say are authentic, expose the extent of U.S. eavesdropping on key allies, including South Korea, Israel, and Ukraine. Others reveal the degree to which the U.S. has penetrated the Russian Ministry of Defense and Russian mercenary organizations like the Wagner Group, largely through intercepted communications and human or human sources, which now could be cut off or put in danger. Still others, they say, divulge key weaknesses in Ukrainian weaponry, air defense, battalion sizes, and readiness at a critical point in the war as Ukrainian forces gear up to launch their counteroffensive against the Russians, and just as the U.S. and Ukraine have begun to develop a more mutually trusting relationship over intelligence sharing. Meanwhile, Ukraine has already altered some of its military plans, says CNN, because of the leak. This from a source close to the Ukraine's top man with a piano-playing penis. Comedian-turned-Nazi dictator, Vladimir Zelensky. But it's Zero Hedge's summary coverage that your host can't help but think is the most uh, interesting, not to mention revealing, the Biden regime and national security sick. Council spokesman John Kirby addressed the media on Monday, asking in so many words that pretty please would journalists stop reporting on the trove of highly classified documents which have been leaked online. Quote, this is information that has no business in the public domain. It has no business on the front pages of newspapers or on television. But Kirby's a bit late says Tyler Durden, given that days ago major outlets from the New York Times to WAPO to foreign outlets like The Guardian and RT have all widely reported on them. These classified reports have circulated widely on English language and foreign social media as well. And they note independent media outlets have also widely shared images of the documents, which the Pentagon officials are now claiming could have been altered by the Kremlin, Russia, 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 don't you know, to make the U.S. look bad. Isn't it funny? They never said that about President Trump. Matter of fact, I can't help but think they probably call people a conspiracy theorist for even suggesting it was a remote possibility. But with this regime, it's obviously a whole different story now. And Kirby reiterated that talking point in the briefing as well. We don't know who's behind this. We don't know what the motive is. We don't know what else might be out there. But he emphasized, we know that some of them have been doctored. We're still working through the validity of all the documents that we know are out there. 
And the Pentagon and the DOJ assured the public and Congress that they're still, quote, working around the clock to assess the source and scale of the massive breach of highly classified data, while new bombshell documents continue to trickle out in media stories Monday and Tuesday, likely with more revelations to come throughout the week. This next item is a story I can't help but think just might be related, although it doesn't seem to be one of the leaked documents. This comes from WorldNet Daily and their news services. The U.S. is sweating bullets, literally it seems, as officials realize, oops, we sent too much ammunition to Ukraine. Because now munition stockpiles just aren't nearly big enough to take on communist China. In a whirlwind of hearings in March, Pentagon leaders, sick, reveal just how much the Ukraine war has cut into American munition stockpiles with massive rates of ammunition consumption from the war, which have now caused the Pentagon to reevaluate their needs for a potential and increasingly obvious, likely China contingency. Quote, one of the big lessons coming out of Ukraine is the incredible consumption of conventional munitions and the conduct of what is really a limited regional war. So a great power war. Or if it were ever to happen, God forbid that it does. And I think Marxist Milley, who is being quoted here, doesn't believe in the same one that some of us do, folks. Well, the consumption rates, he said, would be incredible. And he's just now figured out that huh, maybe it was a mistake to send all that ammo to Ukraine. He's either a blithering idiot, which is arguably at least a real possibility, or more likely an outright traitor. This is, let's not forget... The guy who told his buddies in the Communist Chinese Party, meaning the other People's Army generals, that if the real elected president, he was talking about Donald Trump at the time, ever dared any action against Communist China, he'd let him know first. Which leads a lot of us to wonder how come he's not already in Leavenworth. Back to the World Net Daily story. As reports of that munitions shortage, and this is hardly the first one of them, folks, increase following rapid withdrawals from American arsenals to supply the continued World War III front in Ukraine, defense leaders in testimony before Congress revealed deep concern about the U.S.'s ability to actually sustain a contest with China. The U.S. has devoted millions of rounds. I think the uh, right word there, folks, is devoured millions of rounds. And they say ammunition. This isn't just 223 stuff we're talking about. These are bigger, far more expensive rounds. In Ukraine, since Russia invaded more than a year ago, draining U.S. stockpiles and setting off alarm bells in Congress and the White Whorehouse on the state of America's arsenal in light of higher-than-expected consumption rates in Ukraine, senior leaders at the Department of Defense, SICK, and military service branches in statements that they used to try to justify the Pentagon's budget request over the coming year. And the problem here, folks, seems to be woke leftists can't connect dots not realizing that non-leftists might actually compare those figures elsewhere, warned that the U.S. has massive hurdles to overcome in order to try to rebuild to the level necessary to counter China. And meanwhile, it remains vulnerable. And some of us will suggest uh, that should have been obvious. Indeed, it was a long time ago. So this isn't just stupidity. It looks at least like it's by design on the part of somebody. Said General Marxist Milley to the House Armed Services Committee back on March 29, I am concerned. I know the Secretary is. We've got a ways to go to make sure our stockpiles are prepared for the real contingencies, unquote. In other words, the kinds of stuff we've been poking the bear to try to bring to pass. DOD has now directed the military to review war plans and reassess munitions expenditure estimates in order to inform future budget requests, said Marxist Milley. And here come the specifics, folks, at least a few of 
them? Do we trust them? For example, the number of Javelin anti-armor missiles the U.S. gave to Ukraine during the first six months of the World War III front there equals seven full years of production. According to research from the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and at normal manufacturing rates, it would take up to eight years to actually replenish U.S. arsenals of precision 155-millimeter rounds, Javelins, and HIMARS ammunition. As of January, said Admiral Mike Gilday, Chief of Naval Operations to the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Defense on March 29th, I think the biggest thing we learned was in expenditure rates. It's caused us to go back to take a look at our own warmongering, I'm sorry, he says war gaming and analysis, what our predicted expenditure rates would be, and the questions and assumptions we made, unquote. Folks, these are the people that are supposed to be defending the country. And instead of worrying about the southern border and an actual invasion, among a whole bunch of other threats that they've basically been jonesing for anyway, they're blowing through ammunition like their real intent is just to get rid of it. If you've been paying attention, in other words, you could almost believe that the real intention here is to deliberately deplete U.S. munitions stockpiles. I mean, really, why else would you give $80 billion worth of it to the Taliban? Hey, I know. Maybe they should ask real nicely, can we have it back? After all, that's no less likely to happen than the swamp actually coming out and admitting what they're up to. So this is the World Net Daily story. Ukraine fires between three and 7,000 rounds per day, or the equivalent of yearly orders for a small European country, according to manufacturer NAMO in a statement to the Financial Times. But it would fire orders of magnitude more if the gravy train they've gotten used to was unlimited and the supply chain wasn't so constrained. Russia, meanwhile, whose military doctrine has typically emphasized overwhelming artillery fire concentrated against enemy positions, at one point was launching somewhere around 50,000 rounds each and every day, according to the New York Times, and citing a senior NATO official. One class of ammunition, says the story, the 155-millimeter round has become a particular choke point. The U.S. has sent more than 1.5 million of these shells for the howitzer system to Ukraine, as well as an additional 6,500 GPS-guided rounds, much more expensive, according to a fact sheet that was accurate, at least, as of April the 4th. And for comparison purposes, the U.S. produces about 15,000 artillery rounds per month, said the New York Times. Most of the those, about 14,000 or so, are consumed by the U.S. military's regular peacetime training exercises. So you can just imagine they might use a few more when they get around to admitting it's an actual war. But even so, there's not much to spare there anyway. And this is telling. Down the story it says, the Pentagon has pledged never to, wait a minute, the Pentagon is pledging something? Uh, aren't these the same people that have put their hand on a Bible and pledged to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic? Um, I think I could say I rest my case. But they have pledged never to allow American stockpiles to fall below critical levels, which seems to have already happened. But officials are now worried, and they're at least admitting that, as early as last August, the stockpiles had fallen below what they consider to be comfortable levels in any kind of a rational conflict scenario. Gilday and other defense officials are now claiming that the war in Ukraine has informed their understanding, what, they couldn't study history, of what is needed to supply a large-scale industrial conflict, like the one that would almost certainly occur if China, or maybe we should say when China, invades Taiwan. And it sounds like, given what they now know, that's getting closer by the day. He told the Senate committee on March 28th one of the big lessons coming out of Ukraine is the incredible consumption of conventional munitions in the conduct of what is really just a limited regional war. <laughs> no, it's World War III, folks. It's just a limited regional front. 
and it just hasn't yet gone nuclear. So, if a great power war were ever to happen, the consumption rates would be incredible. For example, in a conflict with China, the munitions consumption, according to CSIS, as they found in a 2022 war game simulating a U.S. military response to a Chinese invasion of Taiwan, well, the U.S. would expend all, that's capital A-L-L, of its long-range precision-guided munitions within one week, and the rest would last at most just a few weeks more. Quote, these gaps undermine deterrence, the linchpin of the United States defense strategy. What a laughing lie, folks. Although the author is right, it was supposed to be, because they reveal to all that the United States cannot endure a lengthy war. And that's according to Seth Jones, senior VP at CSIS, who wrote that adversaries could see the U.S. as constrained by its paltry munition supply and feel emboldened to take actions that are contrary to U.S. interests without having to worry about fearing a response. You know what? That sounds exactly like what they're doing at the southern border. They know that they can go ahead and invade, and they don't have to fear anything. Meanwhile, Beijing is piling up munitions and other advanced equipment at a rate up to six times faster than the U.S., and they'd have easy access to their industrial base during a Taiwan contingency besides, wrote Jones. In contrast, the U.S. would have to depend on a supply chain to transport troops, weapons, Weapons and supplies fully 7,000 miles across the Pacific Ocean. And oh yeah, that would be across the same ocean that communist China has been using U.S. material like steel to build up their own naval forces while the United States has been injecting its and destroying its readiness to fight any kind of a war, much less a protracted war against an enemy that's been preparing for it while they have been taking over from within the United States military itself, it seems pretty obvious, for a long time. This also comes from the Gateway Pundit, Alicia Powell. A new report published by the Center for Death and Contamination, CDC, there's a three-letter agency for you, has now said, they've admitted, the rate of suicides among youth in the United States has now risen to unbelievable levels, showing a 4% jump, which is statistically unbelievable, huge, from 2020 through 21, the sharpest yearly increase in 20 years. Almost 50,000 young Americans took their lives in 2021, among all kinds of things except the obvious financial instability, lockdowns, illness, grief, blah blah and it has now risen to the second leading cause of death among Americans aged 10 through 34, 11th leading cause overall. Essentially, think about it, taking the poison poke does have certain similarities to committing suicide, or at least playing Russian roulette. And the TGP story at least notes that the rising rate of suicides in the United States coincides not only with the other pharmacopoeia we're talking about here, but also a huge number of Americans taking prescription so-called mental health medications, SSRIs and other psychotropic drugs known to cause suicidal and homicidal ideation. And now more than 24%, almost one in four Americans, are taking those drugs. They're saying, oh, well, you know, it has to do with the uh, the job losses during the COVID pandemic and the isolation and these other things. Yeah, and it also has to do with people realizing my, my body doesn't work. Maybe I'm not quite sure what else is wrong with me. I've taken enough of this crap that I have no immune system. I now have uh, myocarditis, pericarditis. I have some mental problem that I never had before. I don't know what's going on, but I think I'll just end it all rather than watching it play out. I've got a, a fast-growing cancer, uh, and ideally... And I guess wonderfully, if you're one of those that are pulling the experimental strings here, suicide is a great excuse because sudden and unexpected death, yeah, that could have been suicide. And ironically, it's not even all that untrue. It's one of those things you have to call the Clintonian truth.
where you really have to parse the sentence carefully to see, oh yeah, they aren't kidding. We'll follow that up with this eyebrow raiser. Uh, we got a lot of eyebrow raisers, it seems, of late. This week, this is from the Gateway Pundit, Jim Hoft, a high school, one high school in the Denver area, and there's uh, PC Central in Colorado, was forced to close after not one, not two, but three mysterious deaths of teachers. Two of them at the same high school, uh, ages from uh, 24 to 63 years old, have passed away in the last week, two of them within 24 hours. Uh, get this, and these the sudden and unexpected deaths were, quote, apparently from natural causes and unrelated. Maybe, say some reports, it had to do with bacterial meningitis, but they closed the school anyway. So... um isn't that amazing? I guess you could say meningitis might be convenient because otherwise it's tough to imagine too many other obvious things that would have caused the deaths of politically correct school teachers that probably were mandated. I don't have the information here saying absolutely for sure, but um, if you give at least partial credit to Denver and the political correctness, you can guess, what do you think? The odds are 95% that they were all poisoned, poked, updated, and boosted? Do we know that that's a cause? Of course not, and they're not gonna. But the point at least is, if people's immune systems are being degraded, and we know that's happening, you can probably expect to see more of this. We'll have more too after the bottom Did of our break. You write the book of love and do you have faith in God above? If the Bible tells you so. Welcome back now to the second segment for this evening's show. I'm your host, Mark Hall, and there's plenty left to talk about this evening. But I want to start this segment off with a bit of, I guess you could say, representative news that we could call the good, the bad, and the ugly. Certainly there's some good, but mostly there's bad, and there's no doubt about it, a lot of ugly. But I think what I want to do today is just start with this story out of Oregon and let the listener decide where it fits. But hey, maybe there's a clue already. And this is actually old news from almost two years ago, but it is, in fact, the gift that keeps on giving. Oregon's dictator, Kate Brown, signed a bill last month, says a piece from Channel 7 News in Denver. And let me reiterate, folks, this is dated August of 2021, so it's a bit old at this point, but we're starting to see the wonderful fruit thereof. That's the point. Proclaiming that high school students don't have to actually prove that they can read, write, or even do math before they're allowed to, quote, graduate for whatever the hell that's worth. Senate Bill 744, passed in June and signed into law last month, suspends proficiency requirements for students for three years. And uh, that's plenty of time to complete the screwing up of the U.S. economy, according to the Washington Examiner. But according to the Oregonian, Brown signed SB 744 privately, didn't issue a news release until July 14th, and it wasn't added to the state's database until July 29th, which uh, isn't the norm, but you can kind of suspect something is up. Secretary of State Lori Brocker, whose office is 
responsible for updating the legislative database told the Washington Examiner that the bill wasn't uploaded to the database due to a staffer being out with medical issues, probably something they just as soon keep quiet anyway, during those 15 days. But supporters of the bill say that existing skills, in other words, requiring people to be able to read, write, and do simple math, were an unfair challenge to stupid students. I'm sorry, students who Oregon wants to make sure will be good little slaves in the New World Order. And I guess nowadays, folks, we could say, hey, if they just go and cut off their genitalia, they could probably be cabinet-level officials in the Biden regime, too. This next story could fit into the good news category, except for the fact that it's even necessary in the first place. It comes from Natural News, and it says the New York Supreme Court, yeah, they've actually got one, has smacked down their tyrannical governor Hochul's anti-constitutional red flag gun confiscation. Um, they call it a law. Obviously, it's not. And even New York Supreme Court can see through that. And as the Natural News editors put it, just how many times does the socialist-led New York state legislature have to learn that the Second Amendment is actually bigger than they are? Well, at least one more time. This time, it's Judge Stephen Brown who declared New York's so-called red flag confiscation law unconstitutional. Gee, do you think? Since a court can't determine mental health issues. Yeah, but you know what? If you could just read it shall not be infringed, that ought to do it too. Brown was asked to consider the legalities of New York's so-called red flag law by attorneys for defendant Corey J. Monroe, who was subjected to a red flag firearms seizure order after he was alleged to have brandished a loaded shotgun during a verbal dispute with his neighbor. Monroe denied the allegations, then called on the judge to throw out the so-called order against him. And Brown actually did the right thing, not only vacating the order against Monroe, but ruling the law itself was, as if it wasn't obvious, unconstitutional. Because it allows for ex parte confiscation of guns without a little nicety that was once called due process. And he saw through some other aspects of the charade, too, pointing out the fact that the so-called law has no provision whatsoever requiring even a single medical or mental health professional or expert opinion prior to the confiscation of something that the Constitution, as most of you know, says shall not be infringed. Much less determine whether the respondent is likely to engage in behavior that would result in serious harm to himself or others. He quoted from the decision in McDonald v. Chicago and said, Second Amendment rights are no less fundamental than Fourth Amendment rights, the right to liberty, and must be afforded the same level of due process and equal protection. Here's another story from America's Dioxin Ground Zero. And uh, imagine the coincidence here, folks. A truck carrying 40,000 pounds of contaminated soil from East Palestine, Ohio, and the train derailment site there, not to mention the so-called control burn that made it a whole lot worse afterwards, crashed in Columbiana County on Monday, and the Ohio State Highway Patrol says the incident occurred around 1 p.m. on State Route 165 near Waterford Road, just east of Ground Zero in East Palestine, and troopers arrived to find that a tractor-trailer had run off the road, hit a ditch and a pole, and finally overturned, spilling about 20,000 pounds of contaminated soil onto the road and berm. And as the Epoch Times, among other follow-up stories, points out, the incident raises additional concerns, I put that word in there, about the safety measures, sick, in place for the transportation of hideously contaminated materials from a place where they've arguably given the word FUBAR new meaning. And no surprise, elected officials have been raising concerns about contaminated materials being transported from East Palestine to other states. But not to worry, it says the Ohio State Highway Patrol and, <laughs> oh yeah, the Ohio EPA are on the job. They're expected to provide further details, uh, or maybe not, as the investigation continues. 
Here's another one of those stories that I can't help but think kind of begins to connect some dots. This one comes from Bailey Carter, also via Natural News, and the headline pretty well nails it. Climate insanity, it says. Cows in the UK are now being given methane suppressants in what's called a bizarre effort to achieve lower emissions of something which really doesn't cause a problem anyway. And while I doubt any of these people are graduates of Oregon high schools, at least we can see a common thread, the UK has ordered farmers, Achtung, to give their cows methane suppressants in order to reduce emissions and meet the country's climate change goals for 2023. This is going to be done via food additives in compound feeds, according to the Daily Mail, containing things like seaweed, organic acids, probiotics, antimicrobials, and essential oils that will reduce the amount of gas, or at least so they say, produced during cow's digestion process, which is expelled in the form of farts and burps. The way God made them to be, and you kind of wonder what could possibly go wrong. Hey folks, ever seen a ruminant die of bloat? But I can't help but think there might even be worse things going on here. And guess how much coverage that's going to get. Downing Street's March 2023 report entitled Powering Up Britain. What a misnomer that is. The net zero growth plan expounded on these additives, claiming that the British government, quote, will explore the role of industry and government the public-private partnership that underlies fascism to maximize uptake of such products for suitable cattle farm systems at a pace through a phased approach, including the ambition to mandate the introduction. Notice it's always about mandates, folks, of products with proven safety and efficacy in compound feeds as soon as practically possible. Now, wait a second. How are they going to prove that they're safe and efficacious? Answer, by slamming them down not just people's throats, but cows' throats. Now, and guess what? If, like the vaccines, they turn out to be deadly, you're going to hear every bit as much about the cows dying as you are people. If this doesn't... <laughs> oh, good grief. You know, folks, I do this new show every day, and I'll admit, as idiotic as some of these stories are, still... I find myself taken aback. I can't help but remember that line that I've just loved for years from Robert A. Heinlein that says... Never underestimate the power of human stupidity. There is at least one cogent comment from a so-called expert in here. Tom Burke, the co-founder of climate think tank E3G, said, It's actually really bad. The incoherence is really transparent. Unquote. But wait, even that is not enough. A leftist slime bag called Vicky Heard of Sustain, a so-called alliance of organizations to promote better food and farming, managed somehow to express skepticism of this idiotic plan, saying governments and industry love their techno fixes like cattle feed methane suppressants, and these may help a bit, but no, guess what? It's not enough. It won't fix the major harms associated with, quote, our huge livestock fixation, from rainforest clearance for feeds and pasture to river pollution and harm to wildlife, all of which inhibit action on climate, too. Now, let me pause here and note again this is idiotic action to fix a non-problem. In other words, to fix a problem that's nothing but bogus pseudoscience to begin with. And climate alarmists claim that cows are a big contributor to climate change. I guess now they could say it's not just man-made climate change. It's cow-made climate change. But there is a problem, say at least some people that can still do high school math. Yielding to the climate agenda by means of these idiotic mandates comes with a huge price. Uh, more expensive farming? Translating to what else? Higher food prices, that is, if it's available at all. 
And ultimately, the only real engineering here looks like it's being designed to produce famine. But they don't want you to have cows, remember? They just soon eat bugs. Here's one from the 23rd World Vaccine Congress, where a uh, vaccine skeptic attended and shares, according to Vox Day and his website, general impressions, starting with the majority of attendees truly believe. And I think this goes beyond mere idiocy, folks, and a lack of understanding of the facts. They truly believe they're doing the right thing. The majority of attendees look no further than recommendations from agencies of public health and safety to guide their... Uh, Opinions. In other words, they fully believe that the mRNA for COVID-19 and other vaccines that aren't really vaccines anyway, but they don't know what that means anymore, are exceedingly safe and have saved millions and millions of lives. That's my story. Oh, that's my story. Well, I ain't got a witness and I can't prove it, but that's my story and I'm sticking to it. The next bullet point says that beyond members of the FDA's Vaccines and Related Biological Products Advisory Committee, or VERB PAC, and officers from the UK's Health Security Agency, UKHSA, few, if any, of the attendees are even aware of vaccine trial and post-marketing observations and data around COVID-19 safety and efficacy, or, more appropriately, the lack thereof. Furthermore, the keynote speaker and expert panel moderators, yeah, sure, who raised the ever-popular topic of vaccine hesitancy, and nowadays that seems to mean people that have a brain and would like to keep it working, were dismissive of those who managed to avoid vaccination, and they were openly contemptuous of those who, like your host here, admittedly, encourage others to do the same thing. Why? Because I'd like to see you live. Or at least, if you're really intent on committing suicide, do so after informed consent. You know what, folks? I gotta say it. I read this story and I can't help but wonder, if you go back to the early 1940s, if the Nazis had shower hesitancy roundtable discussions with their expert panel moderators too. Except for a few instances, it says in the next bullet point, the tone of the presentations and roundtable discussions were collegial. And aside from the pointed questions that uh, some, including Mumper and the author here, were able to pose, there were no open hints that any of the attendees questioned the conventional narratives around the bogus, and I put that word in there, COVID-1984 pandemic response. One-on-one -on -one exchanges, though, said the author, Madhava Seti, via his substack, revealed encouraging signs that not everyone there was drinking the Kool-Aid and buying into the conventional narratives around the pandemic. But still, calls for, say it with me, folks, open fascism, public-private partnerships, whether the private part likes it or not, were a common theme. And even in this setting, here's one of the most arguably disturbing things. Dr. Gregory Poland, director of vaccine sick research at the Mayo Clinic, set the tone for the four-day conference in the first 10 minutes. Because in his mind, he said, the COVID-19 pandemic, and guess what, he spelled it wrong, was halted, halted through the hard work of our regulatory agencies and the remarkable products born from the mRNA platform. And the only failure he could imagine came in the form of, quote, inexplicable vaccine hesitancy. Inexplicable, folks. What a bunch of maroons. A phenomenon driven, he said, by anti-vax pseudoscientists. And I guess in this context, that means people that aren't willing to be guinea pigs and actually want to see data before they get injected with something untested and maybe even deadly to all those animals that they didn't want to tell you about anyway. But back to the quote from this scumbag. 
who are profiting from spreading baseless, fear-driven propaganda. I'm going to ask it. Does this guy even understand why most of us would say that hookers, honest hookers, are way farther up the morality scale than scumbags like him? What an idiotic, beyond moronic comment. You want a profit? All you got to do is whore yourself out to the vaccine manufacturers, and they'll cross your palm with silver. That's a comment that goes so truly beyond the mere asinine that it plums the depths of idiocy writ large. You know what, folks? It really, really galls me to hear idiots like this. Well, no, whores, again. And with apologies to the prostitutes out there who are far more honest than this scumbag and hopefully haven't killed any of their clients to boot, calling people with too much integrity to whore themselves out for a buck, pseudoscientists. But comments like this just really gall me because the good doctors, the good nurses, those who are willing to risk their careers because they care about their patients and they actually believe that they have an obligation to try to provide health and good information and actual advice that's intended to save patients and not just kill them in response to some regulatory agency decree, that they're literally willing to risk their livelihoods, their medical licensure, and their very lives to do the right thing. Scumbags like this, Dr. Poland, aren't fit to grovel at their boots. So much of the Congress was dedicated to combating vaccine hesitancy and focused on strategies, as the author put it, to dismantle the troubling anti-vaxxer movement. How dare people not want to go on the showers when we tell them to? A fellow named Marx, and I wonder if the first name was Carl, supported Poland's position that the vaccine hesitant are irrational, saying, quote, it's crazy. They don't get how great vaccines are, unquote. And by the way, that's Peter Marx, the director for the FDA's Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, also referred to as CBER, adding, I'm past trying to argue with people who think that vaccines are not safe. Unquote. And how dare they, little, little thing like facts, cause them hesitancy at accepting the orders of we, their betters, who know what they must do or else. So the author, this remark was particularly disquieting to me, because you got to ask, what's it going to take for the director of FDA's CBER to ever reassess the safety profile, sick, of these mRNA shots, especially if he no longer wishes even to engage with those who disagree with him? The panel expressed shock, shock, I tell you, that some states, like Idaho and North Dakota, are actually considering bills making the administration of the COVID-19 Zyklon B injections illegal. Said Penny Heaton of Johnson & Johnson, quote, how can we get the public to understand that science is iterative? COVID vaccines save lives. And given that this sounds a lot like a tent revival for satanic cult, Dr. Poland chimed in with, can I get an amen? And by the way, adds the author, parenthetically, the vaccine injured, ironically, Dr. Poland, also claims to be a pastor whose oratory skills were on full display during the opening and closing remarks. Although not so much, your host notes, after having read the article, his knowledge of scripture. And this observation is really interesting, I thought. In February 2022, says the author, Poland reported suffering from significant tinnitus after receiving his second dose of, quote, an mRNA vaccine. And at that point, he described his symptoms as extraordinarily bothersome. But nevertheless, he continued to drink the Kool-Aid and chose to receive a third dose of the monovalent booster. 
And this is surprising, says the author, because Poland's commentary on the COVID vaccines was extremely positive. He said the rapid deployment of the new therapy saved millions of lives and would have saved millions more if it weren't for the disturbing trend of growing vaccine hesitancy. But nevertheless says the author, who is a practicing doctor, I assume that his vaccine-induced tinnitus had resolved over the past year. It was only at the end of the conference, several days later, when he told me personally in a conversation that his symptoms were still debilitating, making his unmitigated support of these products even more astonishing. Dr. Seti provides this interesting background as well. During the three full days of the conference, he writes, neither I nor Dr. Elizabeth Mumper, a Virginia-based pediatrician and strong advocate for vaccine safety, encountered another physician presently in clinical practice. The event, though, was open to anyone willing to pay the entry fee, which started at 495 bucks for students and went up to over $1,000. But from what I could tell, he writes, this was largely a gathering of big and small pharma, biotech, and leaders in regulatory affairs. So, the 23rd World Vaccine Congress in, where else, Washington, District of Criminals, was attended by over 3,100 people, most all of them from pharma, biotech, and various regulatory agencies, bills itself as the most important vaccine event of the year. And having read Dr. Madava's summary, I'll put it this way. They're not only still drinking the Kool-Aid, but a major focus of the event seems to be their intent to overcome Kool-Aid hesitancy among the peons. Writes Vox Day, translation, it ain't over. It's not even close to over. And as he said, will continue until clown world, as he puts it, is destroyed. The financial meltdown, so carefully engineered for so long, is also still in progress. Got a couple of stories on that front today. Inside the credit crunch, says one of them from Zero Hedge, the biggest drop for small business credit availability in over 20 years was reported over the weekend. It's entered the crash phase now. We showed that the last two weeks of April, a record $105 billion in commercial bank loans and leases were either sold, discharged, or otherwise transferred from bank balance sheets. And that was followed up by a chart showing that the bulk of loan declines was due to small bank real estate loans, a clear indicator, they note, that the commercial real estate collapse was starting to impact bank solvency, something we warned about over a month ago. And so, they continue, while credit has clearly been collapsing at the fastest pace in years, until we get the Fed's next SLOOS report, it'll be difficult to answer the key question. Was this credit plunge the result of falling demand or supply or both? Still, it was followed up by the NFIB's latest small business optimism report, showing just a modest drop from 90.9 to 90.1, which did at least provide some key insight into exactly where the credit plumbing was clogged. The report, they note, was rather gloomy and downbeat, as has been the case for much of the Biden-Fuhrer's tenure, now marking the 15th consecutive month of below the 49-year average. With about 24% of business owners reporting inflation, the single most important problem they face. And remember, folks, that's among a plethora of such problems, from getting qualified hires to regulatory overreach. And basically, as the NFIB's chief economist Bill Dunkelberg put it, small business owners are cynical about future economic conditions, and hiring plans fell to their lowest level since May 2020. Even though strong consumer spending has kept Main Street alive for now and supported strong labor demand. 
Bottom line, says Tyler Durden for Zero Hedge, the politically charged NBER may not admit it yet. After all, there are still presidential elections, at least allegedly, coming up fairly soon now. But for all intents and purposes, the credit crunch is here. And so is the recession, which is why just 2% of small businesses think it is a good time to expand. And that's the lowest in over 20 years. And the last time we saw a lower print, June of 1980. From the Epoch Times, but also via Zero Hedge, online grocery prices continue to rise by double digits in March again as inflation continues to bite. The claim is the rate isn't as high as it was, but still, we're talking inflation numbers that would have been unheard of not all that long ago. Costs were up 10.3% in March over the previous year, according to the Adobe Digital Price Index, dated April 10th. From the Epic Economist, anxiety over a housing market disaster continues to rise over all of America. Home sales are falling precipitously. Double-digit price drops. And you can guess how they're going to spend that one when it comes to inflation, folks, are already being reported in a number of major U.S. cities, while foreclosure rates are going through the roof right now. And all of this thanks to the spike in mortgage rates causing an affordability crisis far worse than anticipated by so-called economists, as demand is cratering even faster than ever. So let me see if I can put this in layman's terms. You can't afford to buy food, but hey, you can't afford to buy a house either. But if you did, it'd be a lot cheaper. Would almost make up for the increase in food prices, except for, of course, in a lot of cases, you don't have either. And said the Epic Economist, these worrying numbers have led a famous big short investor to warn about a, quote, danger that households could lose a significant portion of their property values overnight again. And this is an interesting factoid down in the piece. Only about 18% of the homes currently listed for sale in the United States are affordable for the typical U.S. household, meaning that a buyer's monthly mortgage payment would be less than about 30% or so of the buyer's income. And the last time the U.S. housing market looked that bad was back in 2005 to 2007. And you know what happened thereafter. So let's wrap things up today with the police state update, starting with this one from the Epoch Times. IRS Commissioner Daniel Werfel on Thursday provided details about plans to hire armed agents in the agency's so-called criminal investigations division. And guess what? It's not the kind of criminals you'd think, folks. It's the kind that get prosecuted in places like New York. Amid Republican concerns, it says, about a proliferation of gun-toting tax enforcers. But no, folks, rest assured, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Although the capo said that the uh, current hiring rate of the so-called IRS CI, or Criminal Investigation Unit, will stay at its current rate. Now, in plain English, that means they're intending to hire a whole lot more of them. It's just that they're going to hire a whole lot more of the other guys, too. So you won't notice the percentage increase. These are the agents that are authorized to carry guns and use lethal force. Dubbed gun toters, the armed special agents in the unit are responsible for enforcing any parts of the tax code in which violations amount to crimes, according to former special agent Robert Norlander. Still, though, looks like nobody's forgotten the army of 87,000 new tax enforcers that the Biden regime was talking about at one point. But it looks like what they're intending to do, folks, is uh, <laughs> rig the figures and hide them somewhere which seems to mean they'll use their armed goons to enforce things their other standing army of agents tip them off about. And I guess that, too, is a warning.